We're embarking on a three-week series called Everyday Christianity. And the question we're raising is, how do you do this Christian thing in the regular places of life? You know, like the tables that we sit in and sit at. Uh, During any given week, I sit at a restaurant table, a work table called a desk, a coffee shop table, a dinner table, a small group table, a brainstorming table, and I spend way too much time in front of a table that holds my TV. How how about the rest of you, right? You know, tables are such an interesting... uh, it's an interesting backdrop for, for this particular talk. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I couldn't wait to move from the kids' table at holiday times to the adult table. You remember that? <laughs> and now I wish I could go back to the kids' table. <laughs> we reserve tables at restaurants because there are places where there are fewer tables than people who want them. Being at table says that we belong. And I want to say thumbs up to parents who know how important it is for for them to eat meals with their kids. But that's hard these days to get some kind of normalcy. But they do it anyway, even if it's eating sandwiches in their their van on the way to the next soccer practice. Have you ever sat at a table and realized that you're not, not needed there anymore? That's sobering, isn't it? Breaks your heart. Who wouldn't want to be at table at the White House? Or better yet, Downton Abbey, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, I see where you are. Movies and TV shows often feature tables. How many of you love Christmas Vacation with Chevy... Yeah, can't even say his name. That was a great table at Christmas, right? You know, one of our favorite TV shows is a show called Blue Bloods, which always features a family meal, and it always speaks to Anita and myself. The other night, Anita and I watched the movie The 100-Foot Journey. Have you ever watched that? It's beautiful, isn't it? And it talks about food and tables and how, how, how the celebration of such things brings people together, especially people who think they have to be enemies. In the New Testament, we witness Jesus' first miracle is changing water into wine at a wedding banquet. His ministry closes by sharing the Seder meal with his disciples at the table. Sandwiched between these two events, we have Jesus telling us that the kingdom of God is like a banquet. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus attends dinners with Pharisees and other religious types. He tells stories that end with people celebrating by killing the fatted calf. Who knew Jesus loved barbecue that much? (laughs) Jesus hosts a world-class picnic for 5,000 on a hillside. He invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house where he ate with sinners and tax collectors. And even after his resurrection, the disciples tell a story about Jesus cooking them fish for breakfast on the beach and how two people recognized Jesus when he began to share a meal with them. The table is an important symbol in our world, but the question we want to ask today is how do you come to the table Christianly? I'm not even sure that's a word, but I love the word. I invented it. I'll take the royalties for it. Say it with me, Christianly. Christianly, I love that. And uh, Pastor Tim Keller gives us a hint at that. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, just has a phenomenal impact. 
And he says, the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty out there, isn't it? We're building on our identity on something other than Jesus. And when we do that, we build that identity on something that is not Christ. It's hard to come to things uh, as Christ would want us to do that. So we're going to take a look at a scripture passage. It's Colossians 3, 1 to 17. I've edited it a bit for brevity. It's a beautiful passage that I think talks about identity, identity and how we are to live Christianly. We're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to start with men uh, reading, and then we're going to switch over to women. So it's going to be a little tricky. Think you're up to it? Okay. All the men, raise your hands. Okay. Women, you know who you are. Okay. We're all set. Okay. Men, come on, let's go. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life is with Christ and God. He is your life. Okay, women, don't lie to one another. You've done that. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, Insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new kind of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your life. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your life, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Isn't that a beautiful passage? This passage tells us that when we belong to Jesus, we end up acting like we are. (laughs) We put aside our baser nature that is not defined by Christ, and we put on something new. I love it when the the translator of this, uh, Eugene Peterson, says every detail in your life, words, actions, whatever, is to be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. We can't come to anything, including tables, unless our identity is in Christ. 
nothing else. And when our identity is in Christ, we approach everything, I think, with open hands and hearts. And when we do that, I believe we start to think and act like Jesus. And I believe that when we do that, even the tables we eat and work at become places filled with holy possibilities. And our tables become places that are welcoming, safe, and real. Would you just say those three with me? Welcoming, safe, and real. Just one more time. Welcoming, safe, and real. I want to suggest to you that Jesus invites everyone to his table. We're not talking about the community, we're just to the table. The labels we like to put on people to let them know they're either in or out don't work. They don't work for Jesus very well. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uh, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. Jesus wants everyone at his table. He's the one defining how things are supposed to be done, not our own preferences and desires. I worked at at an affluent church on the North Shore for uh, a, a few years. It was a good church, you know. And uh, where all the women were good looking and all the children were above average. I mean, this was an amazing place. And there was a couple in that church that didn't quite fit the mold of the North Shore. I wasn't there the night this happened, but I had a very reliable source. Uh, There was an open invitation to attend a potluck at someone's home. And it was a nice home. And it was quite a potluck. I mean, people brought their best stuff. I mean, really good stuff. And the buffet table was feel, filled with scrumptious food. And this was a, a time when we didn't care about a lot of things like calories and things. So it was really good food. <laughs> you know, it's it kind of stuff you really wish you could eat now. <laughs> In walks an older couple. They didn't bring any food at all, just their appetite. Uh, they're not dressed all that nicely, and there's a reason for that. They couldn't afford to do that. In fact, their clothes were shabby. Uh, They were not a North Shore couple, if you catch my drift. It was a little like the Clampets coming to Beverly Hills. (laughs) So the couple walks in the door, and they notice the food. They went up to the buffet table. They gazed at the food, and then immediately started looking for some chairs. They found the chairs. They pulled the chairs up to the buffet, and they began to chow down right out of the serving dishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, double dipping and everything, you know, you could imagine. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And they did it with great enthusiasm. Of course, everyone noticed, <laughs> you know. And I asked the person telling the story what the reaction was. And she said, well, everyone was in shock. <laughs> you know, it was so out of place. And then she said something nice happened, though. People began to realize this was, this is what it was. What it is was, you know, it is what it is. And then they started going up to this couple, warmly welcoming them. And they started to serve this peculiar couple. Kept them at the buffet table, brought them a plate, (laughs) some silverware that they could use. They thanked them for coming. For despite their peculiarities, they were part of the church. And I want to tell you, folks, that response is the smell of Christ all over it. 
scripture we just read said, from now on everyone is defined by Christ, everyone is included in Christ. Those who are different are welcome at the table of the Lord. And I would even go further. Just as Jesus associated with those who didn't fit the mold and he was chastised for it, so must we. So who's welcome at table? Well, we all have trusted friends and colleagues who we love having at our table, right? But I want to suggest that the way of Jesus compels us to move beyond our comfort zone. Perhaps we need to have more people around our tables who we don't know well, who we don't like particularly, who are peculiar people. And you're probably wondering, does that mean we have to invite you to our dinners, Mike? <laughs> Depends what you're serving. Uh, yeah. There are There are people we probably don't want around our table for honest, right? Just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to picture a person or persons that you wouldn't want around your table. Maybe it's a politician that gets under your skin, a celebrity that just bugs you, maybe that ornery neighbor, the annoying co-worker or your boss. All right, just think. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds for this, all right? All right, we're back. Did anybody have a picture of somebody in their mind? I'm not going to ask you. Did anybody, anybody picture anybody in their mind? Yeah. I want to suggest that these are the very people that probably need to be around our table. And I would say this. Around our table, Muslims should be welcome. Hillary Clinton is welcome. Donald Trump is welcome. Jesse Jackson is welcome. Your gay neighbor is welcome. And the illegal immigrant is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome because Jesus is a welcoming God. And we are to be like Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. I know some of you, I know some of you well enough. You're going, but, 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 right? But, 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 but. And I want to say this, no buts. No buts. I think Jesus, if he was standing here, would say something like this. Welcome those you'd rather not welcome. I did. It wasn't always fun for me to welcome the Pharisees, the Samaritans, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the adulterers, and the cowards that I hung out with. But if you want to follow me, you will do the same. In other words, we would, whoever we would exclude, Jesus would include. Why? You know why Jesus included people? Because he loved them. Have you ever heard this, love God, love others? I mean, that's what we've been talking about for the past three weeks. How can people experience the love of God if we are continually showing our love by keeping our distance from them? Now, does that mean we don't set appropriate boundaries for ourselves and those we love? No, not at all. But sometimes the fences we set up to protect ourselves just don't need to be there. Amen? Our tables belong to the Lord, and the Lord's table is welcoming and invitational, and I believe is always looking for people to fill that open seat. Last week, I sent out something on Facebook, and I asked people to send me their table stories. 
to help me with this sermon. And the first person who wrote back was one of my favorite people in the world, my daughter, Erin. And Erin's a principal up in Northbrook and at a middle school. And she said, oh, Dad, your question about tables made me think of middle school lunchtime. Uh, how, how many of you remember that, huh? The most confusing part of the day for an adolescence. Issues ranging from eating to emotional. For some, this is their, at her school, this is their only meal of the day thanks to a free lunch program. For others, they pretend not to be hungry because there is no money or food at home for lunch. Yet others worry that what their peers will say when they bring their different looking and smelling food from home that reflects their cultural background. And actually sitting at a table is another issue. How easily you know if you are in or out just by seeing if you still have a seat at your table or any table. Some rush in every day just so they can be the first to sit and to spare themselves from table rejection. I'm always grateful for any child who makes room for another. For years, I did parenting seminars and middle school motivational things and public schools. And, and I've talked about this kind of lunchroom issue before. And uh, I used to ask the question to middle schoolers, are you willing to make room for others? And I've gotten all kinds of interesting responses. But the best response I ever got, best response, the best Christian identity response was at, at a middle school in Evanston. Who, uh, and two girls rushed up to me afterwards. They said, we want to tell you what we do at lunchtime. We habitually look for students in the lunchroom who are being bullied or ridiculed, who sit by themselves, or the new kid who looks lost and lonely. And then we invite them to sit at our table, no matter how crowded it gets. Not bad, right? Do you like that? Yeah. No, I took the telling that story over a number of years also to, to parent groups. And some parents just cheered the efforts of these two girls. I mean, they were going, wow, that's amazing. I can't tell you how many parents came to me and said this. I wouldn't want my child to be welcoming. I said, why? Because it might cost them a seat at the table they need to be at. I wouldn't want my kids to lose their popularity. You know, I, I, I understood. I, I worked with kids for a long time. I, I get it. We still deal with that as adults, being in or out. But there's something that was hugely unsettling about their answer. It, it was as if they were teaching their children not to look out for the welfare, not to look out for the welfare of others, if it would cost them something, if it would cost them position or popularity. Do you know what the number one question uh, candidates get asked when they knock on the doors? these days, the ones that you usually don't answer. Uh, but the number one question when people actually answer the door, people ask the candidates, if I vote for you, what's in it for me? What's going to be in it for me? And could it be that as Christians, we should have a different set of questions and priorities, that it's not all about us? Scripture is right, all right, and I think it is. We should care about the very things Jesus cared about. And I can guarantee you this, that welcoming kids to your table trumps popularity. 
that asking the question, what about me, as our first response, speaks to our sense of entitlement and selfishness more than the heart of Christ. Our tables need to be welcoming places. And they need to be a place of safety. Welcoming and safe. And for me, a safe place, is, and I'm reworking a definition of, of intimacy from a guy named Mark Center here. A safe place is where Mike Murphy can bring his true self with all my warts and potential. It's a place where my hopes and dreams are shared without fear or rejection, where mistakes and sins are confessed without making me feel worse than I already feel, and where my moods and feelings are revealed without a call for explanation. That's what safety is. I can just come as I am. I remember one time I was sitting in a restaurant someplace, and it was near where I had done a parenting seminar. And I, I'd always urged parents. I said, you know, life is hectic, and it's hard to get the whole family together. But what, 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 is, what if you did this? What if you started just dating your kids? Took them out for breakfast or lunch. And, and you would just date your kids. And, and, and just go out and have a meal together and have have really no agenda other than just being with them, to enjoy being with them. And so I was sitting at this table, I was meeting with somebody, and some, a dad and his kid came in for breakfast. It was like 6.30 in the morning. I'm going, yes, he was probably at my seminar. Yeah, he's by, you know. And, uh, uh, and, and, and they came in, and uh, our, my table was close enough that I could, I could see and hear everything. That's how you get good sermon illustrations, by the way. You just sit close to people. So if you're at a table and you see somebody that looks really goofy writing down everything you're saying, that's a pastor. And uh, <laughs> so, so, this, so this guy comes in, and, uh, and I said, this is great. And to sit down, and he says to his son, this is great. And the kid says, yeah, this is great. And then dad takes out, reaches into his suit, and they reach out a, 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 a single page of paper with bullet points all down it of all the things he wanted to talk to his kid about. Remember, we're talking about safety here, right? And then for the next hour as they were eating, he just went through all these bullet points with these just piercing, uncomfortable questions. You know, just hammering this kid. And the kid just started to sink in his seat. Have you ever seen a kid do that? Just go like this. Pretty soon all you could see was this part of his head, you know, over the thing. I felt so bad for him. And then at the end of all this, the dad says to him, this was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> and the kid, look at the kid's face was, if I have anything to say about it, it will be never again. Why? Because it wasn't safe. It just wasn't safe. As Christians, I think we're supposed to be welcoming and we create safety for people. Contrast that story with this, what I got from another friend of mine. I have a friend who is a member of a very prestigious orchestra here in Chicago. He's not allowing me to say which one, but privately I will tell you. And... Uh, and he was coaching a chamber group at Northwestern just a while back and had a very talented young viola player in the group. He said she was, a, she was Asian, Chinese, Chinese and he, he observed that many times his Asian students put themselves under a lot of pressure. We, we've read about that in our culture, you know, win the audition, the job, and the contest, whatever is expected. 
sometimes a lot of family pressure. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, not that we would ever know anything about here, uh, here about putting pressure on our kids, right? I mean, that, we don't do that, but just this pressure, pressure, pressure. And, uh, and, and, and at this particular uh, uh, rehearsal with this, the chamber group, she was very discouraged talked about being upset by some recent setbacks with the auditioning and the prospect of more school and auditions, just had her in tears. My friend said, I gathered the entire chamber group together and took some time coaching them to talk about the big picture. I specifically talked to her saying that she was more than a human doing, but she was a human being and that she needed to care for and nurture the reason she wanted to make music in the first place. I reminded her of her beautiful talent and how important that she take care of her heart and spirit and not just measure her success by the latest audition or contest. How's that? Safe? After the coach, he says, the young viola player took me aside and asked me if I was a Christian. And my friend wrote big letters. Busted. <laughs> he says, honest proof, I, I wasn't trying to whip religion on her. <laughs> he says, I just wanted to be there for her, to just reach out and just care for her, just remind her of who she was. He says, to me, it's about listening, sharing another person's struggles and pain, no matter who they are. Do you see what happened at this person's work table? that just happened to be a, a, a music room. To see what happened? Something good and powerful happened because one person allowed his identity to be shaped by Christ. He went on to say that this young woman now is playing in a very fine orchestra. Seemed to have put everything together. But what my friend did is he clothed himself in his Colossians 3 wardrobe of compassion, kindness, humility, and quiet strength. And he created a welcoming and safe environment where he could get real with the students he loved. And they felt safe enough to share their struggles with him. Jill Thackeray told me, you all know Jill, she's one of our, she's a just fine violinist. I told her the story. She says, that doesn't happen in the music room. People don't stop like there and try to nurture everybody's soul. <laughs> I mean, this, this is crazy. But that's what my friend did. He just tried to let her know that she was okay. And it wasn't that he didn't want to help her succeed. I, I'm, I'm sure he has a demanding workplace because that's what he does. That's why students come to him. But being safe and welcoming does not preclude... Uh, Pursuing excellence in all things. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, does that happen in your workplace? Around your family table, around your friendship table? And if not, could you create it? You know, when we establish a welcoming atmosphere, a safe place, remarkable things begin to happen. People do start getting real with one another. And it's not always fun in games when you get real. It's not. Scripture we read says, you know, when you get together, you know, sometimes you're going to have to instruct one another. You're going to admonish one another. You're going to need to confess sins to one another. You're going to forgive each other. Those aren't always easy things. It's real. It's as real as it gets. But when it's welcoming and safe, 
in real, whatever table we're at, it looks like Christ, it feels like Christ, and it smells like Christ. I think Jesus was the safest, most welcoming person ever. I want to pose a question to you. Are you? Are we? Do we care? If you're a student, is your lunch table a safe and welcoming place? Or are there people who are excluded because they don't fit in? Parents, is your dinner table a place of welcome and safety, or is it a place of guarded compliance? You know, maybe your, maybe your family table then has a, an identity issue. Are the tables you sit around with friends safe places, even for those who happen to be absent from the table? Or are they places where people, uh, are they places where people can be real, or do we forget about being real and just slip into the easy neighborhood or workplace gossip? And if so, is that the best we have to offer Jesus? If you're in a small group, are you a welcoming group, always looking for that next person you can invite to sit at your table? And are you real enough that people would actually want to come and sit alongside of you? Bosses, when you gather your employees around your conference table, do people feel safe enough to explore ideas that are contrary to your own? Or are they reticent to say anything to your face that you might disagree with? Our faith gets tested and blessed in the most ordinary places like every time we sit at the table together. What opportunities we have whenever we sit with others, huh? Great opportunities. It's all about everyday Christianity. It's all day, every day. Every day with Jesus. Creating spaces that are welcoming, safe, and real. That's the only way to live, really. It's the only way to live. Let's pray. Mighty God, thank you for allowing this opportunity to be in this room to talk about things that really matter. Lord, help us all to find our identity in Jesus and to seek around the tables we sit at to create environments that are welcoming, safe, and real. Give us that desire. Give us the ability to do it. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen.